Have things been worse for you in 2020? This <laughs> is better. <laughs> Another new beginning. We're just going to keep trying until we strike gold. I, I'm Dr. John Duffy. And I'm Julie Duffy. We're related. <laughs> Not by blood. We're married. <laughs> We're tired. No, you're tired. That is a layout. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I'm tired. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. So what's been going on, Julie? What's the update on the lives of the Duffies? Well, we didn't podcast last week, but um, a couple weeks ago we had George's birthday, his 25th birthday. Yay. We planned a small outdoor gathering in his courtyard, in his uh, on his patio, and there were twinkle lights hung and heat lamps rented and... Um, a small crowd assembled. Before that, it started. It just started to rain, which was not in the forecast. So we had a small, small group of uh, f- folks, mostly family, in a large apartment. It was all good. So fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we got to meet uh, Jack's girlfriend and Grace's boyfriend. Yeah, our and niece George's and girlfriend Lauren for the thousandth time. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so our, our nephew Jack, Jack's girlfriend Olivia, we met Olivia and Grace, our niece Grace's boyfriend Kevin, both million dollar humans. Yeah, we got to see a few people we haven't seen in forever, including my sister and brother-in-law, Mike and Nancy. So it was really fun. F- delightful, delightful. And um, yeah, we saw some friends last night for another birthday celebration, socially distanced outside. Very fun. Yeah, there's, we've been doing a lot of that because, well, in part because this is when the birthdays are, but also in part because come a month from now... Who knows how we're going to do this? Right, exactly. I don't know how... There aren't, there aren't enough heat lamps. There's some... Did you see the winning Chicago design thing? There's, there was a contest. It was like a row of little, basically tents. It, and it was supposedly inspired by... Ice fishing tents, <laughs> but it actually looked kind of cool. Whoops, I just hit the mic. Um, just a row of like little rooms, little rec- rectangles. So you'd only go in with your little peeps. And um, I don't know. What if you're not, you know, bubbled up with your little peeps? Suddenly you're bubbled. No, no, you, you, they're small. You, it's basically like every little ta- every table has a tent. I know, but but what if you're with people that you're not ordinarily with, meeting them for dinner? Like oh. normally, if like we're, we were meeting friends outside, they're not. We're not necessarily like quarantining with them. You're we're, right. Yeah. So you might just be creating little little um, micro aggressions. <laughs> no, little, that's a good point. I mean, it will it will allow restaurants to continue to be open and serve, but it right, the it's on the, people. the same the same opportunity to gather and feel pretty good about being at a table with friends cuz there's lots of air cuz you're outside that is not necessarily the sitch. Right. Um, yeah, and it's such a messy thing because you know, from, from schools to grocery store, just everybody trying to figure out um, as circumstances change, right, as rates change. Now rates are going back up kind of across the country and across the planet, like, you know, that we had um, in a three-day period, the first time 
We hit a million cases in three days, ever. This is not even sinking. I'm not even, I can't take this in, this information that you're... <laughs> uh, I, I think the I'm numbers, trying... These numbers that you're saying, they're hitting my forehead and they're bouncing off. They're bouncing off. Maybe they're hitting that... Uh, Glass block and then just bouncing back. I think my it, head. well. I think maybe for for pandemic purposes only, it's important to remember that we're still in it. Even if some people seem to get it at 74, miraculously recover and then do their Mussolini discussions from <laughs> balconies, um, because they're Teflon. I just somehow. fell asleep. Um, what? Anywho, here's a thing that we could discuss. Okay. Uh, Monica Lewinsky, she of the infamous scandal of the 90s. Um, You and I have talked about her on the podcast many times before. Uh, Out of nowhere, comes up, does a remarkable TED Talk on shame. And I think she really... Shame or bullying or both? Both. Okay. Um, and, And online bullying and the shame affiliated with that. Um, and arguably she said that she was among the earliest victims of online bullying while also drawing the line, hey, I'm no victim to my own actions. I did what I did, but um, still, you know, like I can tell you what it's like to be bullied aggressively online, and she probably has more... Uh, a leg to stand on beyond most anybody else on earth. And so her TED Talk, I highly recommend. And she was interviewed several years ago by Vanity Fair in the wake of the TED Talk. And they liked her enough at Vanity Fair and realized, oh, there's dimensions of this woman way beyond what even this is about, that they um, – hire her on frequent occasions to write pieces for yeah. Vanity Fair and um, pick a random Monica Lewinsky piece for Vanity Fair and you will be smarter when you're done reading it. You you know, turns out she's smart, she's funny, she's self-deprecating, she's in on the Monica Lewinsky joke and um, though truly traumatized by it, quite funny about it as well. I mean, you know, like she's a pretty delightful human being. and any- Super traumatized by it. Yeah, well, uh, immeasurably. Yeah, I mean, you know, which, Im- imagine, you know, like she uh, was twenty-three years old, right? Yeah, she was younger than all our kids. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it's a horror. You know what what we collectively put her through. She was a bit. Uh, she was a punchline on Saturday Night Live a week ago. So imagine, you know, that you had this situation happen twenty years ago in your life, that the whole world is aware of who you were at twenty-three. And you and and that's your bit for the rest of your life. Which, by the way, um, on a side note, we watched SNL last night, the second one of the season. The first one was good, and it was so just. If you have a chance to watch it, it was so awkward <laughs> and uncomfortable. But the entire show, and you could just tell the people. The, the players felt that way, and I've never seen anyone – I've never seen a show where every single player seemed to be reading the entire scene and it's and really felt awkward with the content. It was fascinating in a way, oh, what just I haven't, as an aside. What I haven't told you about that Whoa. episode 
is um, so I read about that this morning, and um, it started with uh, there. There's a comedian named Bill Burr who was actually a very funny guy yep. who went um, dark into certain material that didn't, uh, in our estimation, play very well, including um, the role of white women in the woke movement, uh, BLM, um, the idea of Gay Pride Month. He had some real tone deaf or resp- tone-deaf bits or bits that didn't hit right somehow. Like, you know, this is a smart guy. And I've seen him do stand-up for an hour and a half on end where he owned me the whole time. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. And here was six minutes where I'm like, ooh, ooh, what? I'm not yeah, sure. We were, you know, like, I uh, watched it again. We, we saw it at Friends, and then I wanted to see it again. Like, was that as weird and awkward as I thought it was? And and it seems like he threw the whole show off. So um, about the halfway point of Saturday Night Live is Weekend Update, which I I think you and I would agree is a highlight. We we enjoy that. Um, And Kate McKinnon, who's arguably the funniest woman outside of maybe Kristen Wiig ever on Saturday Night Live, Mm. But then you got your face and your polars and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, but she's amazing. But she's, she's amazing. She's the funniest. Yeah. She's one of the funniest people on earth. Yes. And um, and she came out dressed like a man <laughs> with an old man with a mustache, as she is completely up for doing all the time. And um, and at some point in the middle of the bit, Colin Jones turns to her and says, "Kate, Kate, are you all right?" And that was not scripted. I wondered about so, that. So Kate lost her composure, and she said, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so you, you do kind of wonder what was going... Not that, you know, the world is a shit show, so maybe they're just all feeling that, but you wonder what went down. The night felt strange. The night felt strange. The night felt like strange. there was an underlying something. And then the musical guest was swapped out last minute. He did a great job, Jack White. By some country star that I don't know didn't follow protocol or something. And uh, and Jack White, uh, just as a side note, uh, what I also to the side, read, a side note to the a side, side note. note. Now now we're we're, <laughs> we're, way, we're way eight degrees here. from Monica Lewinsky at this point. Um, but uh, Jack White part. Uh, so he, um, I, I admire Jack White a lot. I think he's an incredibly inventive uh, musician. He has gone from doing like, you know, kind of almost acid rock kind of sounds to doing country music with Loretta Lynn, who is, I I don't know, maybe 40 years his senior um, and and crazy duets. And then um, and then last night it was kind of straight up rock and roll with his weird twist to it. But his so this guy only had a few days to prepare and meanwhile, Eddie Van Halen died this week, and so he had some amazing guitar moments. Those moments were written this week in tribute to Van Halen. Oh wow! I mean, and they look, and he was unreal yeah. on the guitar, yeah. man. I mean, you know, like. And as a side note to the side note to the side note, <laughs> now um, we're way way over there in the corner. I, I'm going to say this every time somebody who is well known, especially a musician or an actor, dies. I usually, once somebody passes away, is when I get into their music. Because you typically somebody dies, Prince dies, and then you're like, you start hearing Prince music. And for me, never having been to a Prince show and never really giving Prince a whole lot of bandwidth in my brain, 
you know, I realized like, oh my God, Prince was the best ever. Prince was unbelievable. And then um, I started reading about Van Halen and they were pointing out like how, you know, like it's hard. And there are a thousand hair bands, right? You know what I mean? From Van Halen to Bon Jovi to Metallica. Like there, there, there's a whole bunch of guys trying to create a sound on the guitar. And they said, listen to a Van Halen lick. He writes them all. And I started doing that. And, you know, right from the and jump to like every single Van Halen song has this moment where you're like, Oh shit, that's that's uniquely Van Halen and in the midst of all everybody trying to do something different with six strings and 12 frets, this guy finds that. You know what I mean? Like he finds a unique sound and he's able to and it's all always a repetition by 3. You know, like that was his thing this over is and better over. This guitar with John and Julie Duffy. Yeah. <laughs> And what you what, what you do when you're when you're okay. playing a Van okay. Halen bit, okay. bit okay. is you want to okay. play up high on the neck. You want to play high on the neck, and instead of fuzzing up the notes, you want to play clear, Whoa. crystal clear Whoa. notes. Anyway, okay. back to Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> <laughs> Scroll back if you're go back to minute four. Are y'all dizzy yet? Um. So, Monica wrote a piece um, for Vanity Fair recently about um, something I've been talking about for a long time. I'm not taking credit for Monica Lewinsky's piece in Vanity Fair, but uh, there is some crossover here because she is suggesting that in the midst of a pandemic, what we're not attending to very well is mental health and wellness. And she thinks that we should have a mental health czar. A, a I think she called it a psychologist... Um, maybe a psychologist czar or something like that, okay. um, as part of the uh, of the task force for the for the coronavirus. That's, and yeah, that's a that's a no brainer. It's a it's an absolute. And my double down on that is I think that um, so there is a in the cabinet there is a um, secretary of health and human services and buried. Underneath all of that is mental health, right? Um, right now, given the way our world is working and given the way our country is about to work in terms mm-hmm. of um, our emotional unwellness and our mm-hmm. anxiety and depression and, and all of the Anger, trauma. vitriol and... Yep. I, I, I think that that needs to be a standalone um, uh yeah, cabinet. I agree. And, and um, to your point earlier, you and I were talking. I think that there needs to be um, a task force underneath that secretary that is comprised not just of academics, which is what we tend to do, especially in government, but with practitioners. Yeah. No. So we were thinking John would be a great candidate for that, but it would probably probably be kind of an administrative position, and. They should you what you would be. You I'm, would better, I'm not gunning to be candidate. No, for no, but you okay. would be. You would be better serve. I'm the running cause. for county commissioner, by the way. <laughs> you would better serve the cause by advising them because you you are seeing patients on the daily and you know what is going on. So they would they should have like clinicians that are in the field and know what is happening with everyone. Because you know um, that's a great idea. That's a no brainer. 
And it's a very progressive idea. We'll and write Mayor Pete about it, and he'll get the word out. Well, yeah, because Mayor Pete's doing time on um, uh, Fox News. Killing it. Killing it on Fox News. This morning, Sunday morning, he got a question, uh, a series of questions about the Supreme Court. And if you want to see a brilliant man, composed and intelligent, deliver a cogent answer on a very complicated topic... Um, just watch Mayor Pete talk about anything, <laughs> but, but watch him just talk about the Supreme Court and what the nature of the court is intended to be. And if you want just a treatise, a one minute treatise on what this is all about and why this matters so much, um, Pete, one minute and two seconds, I think, gives you everything you need to know from a kitchen in South Bend, Indiana. I will say he is singularly someone who I really wanted him to be the candidate. And it's because he seems like he could gather, collect, and join and connect um, people from both sides of the aisle, to use a, like a really tired phrase. But um, he, he never seems pol- political to me in the way he speaks. He... he he gives me hope and I can breathe when I hear him because he's just really smart, really qualified, and um, sensible. And I think almost everyone would agree, honestly. I'm not in, like, no matter where you stand, you would have a hard time finding fault with what he has to say. What I like in a, about, good, in a great way. What I like about Pete is that we are this all over the place. This is better politics with John and Julie Duffy. <laughs> what I like about Pete is this um, he is. Uh, a, a third party candidate without having to create a whole third party because Pete kinda yeah Pete is um, rational and reasonable topic by topic by topic and there is nothing nothing and I'm telling you man I've been paying attention to this guy since well before he announced thank you buddy Max Potter for turning me on to the guy um, and there is nothing he cannot address that he doesn't have an opinion on. And um, and he has this great view of the role of government, politics, and the Constitution. And part of his discussion of the Constitution this morning, also on MSNBC, was this is a living, breathing document. England English is a living, breathing language. America is a living, breathing, ever-changing country. And so the beauty of the framing of the Constitution, Thomas Jefferson said himself, says Pete, uh, is that we, are, we, we can change. We're malleable. We can grow and adapt. And so— And progress. That, he said, is the nature of a true constitutionalist. So he said anybody who says they are loyal to the document like a Bible, that it's a standalone thing and you have to turn to it as is— is missing the point of the guy who wrote it. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> um, so anyway, to that point, you know, you can add, as we have wants to do over and over again, right? We had uh, 25 years ago, we didn't have a need, we didn't think for a Department of Homeland Security, right? Now we have a need for a department of emotional well-being. That, that's what we, would be that. my argument, as yeah. opposed to a, depar- a department of, of mental illness, right. which would be the inclination. If you focus on emotional well-being, that suggests prevention. It suggests um, 
that there is strength even in the diagnoses. Um, it suggests a whole different approach to mental health care, and it takes it out of the hands of lobbyists like the APAs and puts it in the hands of clinicians who are a, a coalition of people who understand the nature of mental illness and mental well, wellness in America. Well, and you said, you, yeah, mental wellness. You said it shows their strength in the diagnoses, but also that diagnoses are not critical or key, and that's not what it's about, and not, not necessary and not always. They're overutilized and sometimes... Um, you know, they handicap people. They're not helpful in a lot of cases. So people, the Department you, of Mental Wellness is not diagnosis-centric. So I want that to happen. I want that to happen now under a Biden or Trump administration. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Just hard, having a difficult time envisioning certain things. All right, all right, all right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I want that to absolutely happen, and um, I'd be happy to be any help I could, but I am running for county commissioner. <laughs> Vote for me. <laughs> Vote for me on November 3rd. <laughs> Punch four. I was trying to think what Sebastian Maniscalco was saying on his podcast, that, but it doesn't matter. Um, we die on a side note. No, no, no more side no notes. No more side notes. Um, so there may be other cabinet posts that need to be added here. Um, including, you know, well, maybe it's not a cabinet position, but maybe having a pandemic task force on an ongoing basis is not the worst idea. Right. Um, and, and let's not dismantle that just because we don't have a pandemic in this moment. Oh, um, well, we do. What? No, no, no. I mean, like, you know, once this, once the smoke clears, once we don't, it's not time then to dismantle it and not put money into prevention and cure and management of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but the emotional implications uh, cannot be ignored. And we, I don't know that we are recognizing what's coming. This is the, uh, how, how, um, how things have escalated in terms of the un emotional unwellness of the populace overall already in the six months, seven months now since the pandemic started. And honestly, how difficult this is going to be and it's new and it's different than what we are used to so part of what needs to happen in the area of mental health are whole new approaches to therapy right yeah yeah there's work to do there's work to do in that area and if um well, and even if just we are like so myopic as to think that uh, the economy, for example, and mental health are not connected, um, I, I think that it would be very, very easy to draw the lines between the two, right? Well, oh, yeah, right. And, you know, you s just going back to what you said, um, there's going to be new approaches, need to be new approaches to therapy, yes, 100%, but also... There's so many things we can that need to be talked about that address how a huge majority of people are feeling right now. And everybody knows they're kind of stressed and tired and weary of the pandemic and stressed about, you know, whether their kids are in school or not. And, you know, people are out of work. I mean, there's just so many layers. Everyone's suffering, really. Um, 
And, you know, I said this before, part of me feels such appreciation because it's because it's difficult. You don't take it for granted. I feel this new, like a joy and appreciation for every time I can see people and be with people. Um, but there's also this sadness. And, you know, a lot of us were feeling it last night because you, you know, this family we vacationed with, uh, we were, in fact, last night we were like, oh, was that, you know, was that this place or that place? Like it was almost ridiculous the number of awesome places we'd been. And we're typically like, you know, basically sitting on top of each other on couches and, you know, hugging each other for minutes at a time. And typically, you mean? Typ- yeah, yeah, typically. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be masked and, you know, like not, you know, only going in the house when you have to go to the bathroom with your mask on and, you know, and staying far apart is it's, it hurts your being some people more than others, you know, uh, I, it definitely, feels sad to me. I've said before, you know, you walk into a place where you've been a million times and made a million memories and you belong just to walk in that house and then quickly walk out and, you know, and notice, oh yeah, I don't belong here right now. I'm a possible threat. And, you know, not like we dwell on that part of it, but it, you, you, you're feeling it. You know, we were, we, we talked about some of us, how, how great it felt to be together, but how sad it was at the same time. Well, to your, to your point, I mean, you know, God, my voice. Um, <laughs> I'm so tired. You can, you can. Um, we were up late. You can be, you can be really mentally well, but once you are disconnected, you know, and there, there's an argument to be made that all of mental illness and addiction is an artifact of feeling disconnected from your others and from yourself. And oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And by and large, most of us are more disconnected now than we ever have been, than we ever could have envisioned we could be from other people. And um, even people, I'm talking to a lot of families, right? And they're in their homes together, parents and kids, spouses, you know, like there, there are disconnections that are happening just by virtue of the stress of the year and the um, imposition of having to be together in the space, doing the things you would normally be doing apart, going to school, going to work, um, you know, uh, goofing off, you know what I mean? Anything that you would normally be doing apart that would be normal for families to do, now you're doing in each other's spaces in a completely unnatural way, unrehearsed way. And it drives it drives conflict and disconnection and anger and disappointment. Um, whereas, you know, if everyone was off doing their own thing, people would just be growing. And when they came back together, they'd feel more connected, you know. So um, it, it runs a number of different ways. It's uh, the disconnect is very dynamic, oddly, and requires clinical attention. It requires people who know what's going on and have worked with it over this period of time. And there are some clinicians who have, there are some clinicians who haven't. Um, But I do think that there's some veil that needs to be lifted on the mental health element of all of this, because every once in a while, 
you know, I pay attention to a lot of headlines. And every once in a while it rises up in the headlines, but usually it's in something that people who are interested in mental health or parenting or relationships are engaged in. Rarely does it show up in just a periodical that everybody reads. And right. so I think a lot of us are not aware even of the degree to which we ourselves are stressed. Right. And that's concerning. So what's the, what's the happy takeaway? <laughs> uh, well, part of it is literally, seriously, um, to create a department that creates those takeaways, right? You know, like, I don't know if we can sit here and say we know what the answers and the takeaway are, but on the micro scale, and you and I sometimes talk micro mm -hmm. and macro, so that macro scale, man, make a whole, uh, a whole cabinet department about emotional wellness and focus on that Fo and all the way down to curriculum. Like, you know, it's time for that. Definitely. It is time for that. On a micro scale, recognize, insight is everything, right? And um, insight and awareness. And if you are aware of the idea that you feel disconnected and that your people feel disconnected, uh, form the connections. And connections get formed not by, hey, what are you doing? Or how was your day? Those one-dimensional flat questions don't really suggest the intimate connection we need. So it's more like talking about how you are emotionally. And uh, most of us, I think these days, and I, I, I'm speaking for parents in a lot of circumstances, are afraid to know what their kids are going through emotionally. Oh, I get it, yeah. Um, uh, but that reminds me, and this is, a, this is maybe uh, a positive spin, um, not spin, but you've said a lot lately, I've heard from other therapists um, and kiddos actually, um, in this moment, you mentioned parents are afraid to hear what their kids, how, are going through. And in a lot of cases, not all, in some cases, your kids are actually faring better than you think they are and better than you are. And you might be making assumptions in the wrong way and you might be bringing more weight and more heaviness to this moment than they are, than they actually feel. Good point. Um, so that's a, actually a great reminder because we that's come up several times in the last couple weeks where you say a lot of kids are like, I'm fine. I'm fine with the online learning right now. I'm cool with waiting, you know, and the parents are calling and writing the schools every day. And I want to get my kid back in there. I want to get sports going again. All understandable, but they're stressing their kids out, number one. Number two, the, the administration of these schools that has a lot on their plate has to spend time every day Answering all your calls and all your emails when they could be, you know, working on getting things, uh, improving the online learning, improving the, the chances of coming back safely. There's other things they could be doing. They're, they're answering your stressful communiques a lot of their days, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. And just, just as a to, – to scroll back a second here – I won't say the kids are saying they're fine. I will say kids are saying we get it. Like we, you know, we're, we're, this we this is not working. 
You know, it's not like they're they're saying like e-learning's fantastic. Some kids no, are no, saying no, right. mostly they're saying like we all know how to cheat on this thing because it's easy. We can look at three screens at once, whatever. Um, we're not learning that much, but we're not that interested also in being, you know, forced back into school in this situation that's upside down and you know I'm in uh, you know, class five six, seven, and eight, and then one, three, two, four, you know, like on alternate days, you know, all, all this, um, these gymnastics that we're, they're trying to go through um, in order to just get in the building for a half a day a week or two. Um, most kids are like, you know what, that's sad. It's not that interesting. I, I'm mostly there, whether anybody likes it or not, to see people my age and if that's not going to happen, yeah. if you think just being in the building is somehow going to change something for me or I'm going to get into, you know, Cambridge or something because of it, that's not the deal. Like I'm not – kids Kids will tell me across the board I'm not that interested in going back to a partial schedule where I am 10 feet apart from anybody else at lunch, at, you know, in math and everything else. I want to see people. I want this to be dynamic and social. Otherwise, it's weird. It's sad. I don't see people I know. It's no better than being at home. I'd rather wait this out. Yeah. So I don't feel great about it. But if you're pressing the issue just because you think getting in the building somehow solves something for us all, trust me, kid, it does not, yeah. right? By and large, I'm hearing. And I'm not minimizing what people are missing because I, in fact, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that their son scored two touchdowns. He's, I don't know, maybe a sixth grader. But so in some way, somehow he's playing some kind of football. And I, listen, there's, I realized there's literally, like for us, there's just almost nothing more joyful than watching your kid play their sport or, you know, watching your kid and they're performing their concert or do you know in their dance or whatever like for us i get it like more than anyone there's nothing more joyful than that for us so for that not to be going on for a lot of parents i'm not minimizing that oh uh, God, it's no it's heartbreaking man are you kidding yeah no we julie and i um no and if it sounds like i'm minimizing that no uh, no, no i was the one who said like you know stop calling the school and i'm not i i get it though i mean you know and we were lucky enough to you know our kid missed all of this he got to have all his things so it's um our hearts you know kind of break with you um oh yeah but just just be cognizant of whether and i get it you're bringing more heaviness to this moment than need be because you know it is what it is so if we can just lighten it up a little bit yeah and kids are pretty adaptable adaptable and resilient and um and can navigate a missed season or play or whatever it is it's not i get i get the pain of a parent mm-hmm. missing that man because because i've seen it i'm working with it all the time, and um, as a parent of uh, a kid who was pretty involved, man, it it it, it was it, it's rough to picture, right? You know what I mean? To feel the feelings, it, it's so you know there's so many layers of loss. But your kids are going through that too, and they can't carry yours around too. Yeah. I mean that that's the bottom line is you know like so you've got to find a way to work it out. 
um, enough that they're not carrying around your your losses along with theirs. So yeah, it's a good that's a good reminder. And then you know, just kind of to wrap and t- the takeaway, I liked what you said earlier about you know checking in with um, either family, friends, both, someone, and saying how are you doing? You know, how are you feeling? And like kind of check in with yourself. Um, if you don't have someone close to you who's who you can talk to. Um, I've been super self-observatory lately. I keep saying that, like, you know, noticing when I feel really down or if I really feel like flat energy and what lights me up. Like I feel super happy in the city. I don't know. It just feels like there's more life. But anyway, just kind of pay attention uh, and, um, you know, try to lighten up a little bit. Yeah, there you go. All right, guys, this is uh, this is better. And it's better. And we will talk to you. Uh, we will try to be a little more regular. It better our, be better. It, it's got to be better. It's got to be. <laughs> I think it's going to get a little worse. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anywho. All right. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you, honey. Love you, honey. Bye.